You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Dear Jesus, God, we just thank you, uh, Lord, that your love broke through the darkness that was in our hearts, God. Uh, the sin that we cuddled up next to, Lord, that we slept with, God, you broke through it. And God, you delivered us from it. So, Lord, for some of us, God, that are coming here today and we're just worshiping with passion because, God, we're seeing it and realizing it again. Uh, Lord, we pray right now, God, that you will uh, let your word just enrich our hearts. God, protect us from the world. And, Lord, that uh, you'll just secure our heart and uh, further secure it in this, in this time. And I pray. Amen. We've been in Genesis uh, in this series. Are we good now? All right. We've been in Genesis in this series uh, called Beginnings, and we've made our way through some of these really difficult passages. Uh, You know whenever you start talking about angels or fallen angels having sex with humans uh, that you're in Genesis. Um, So we've made our way through those difficult passages. And I'll be honest, we're talking today about the Tower of Babel. No, guys, I'm not talking about your wife's Bible study. It doesn't work. It's good. Alicia warned me that it wouldn't go. But yeah, we're talking about the Tower of Babel, and I'll be honest, I think it's kind of a difficult passage because everybody in the world's going to look at this and say, nonsense, right? But, you know, most modern linguists say that we all did originate from the same language, and so that's when we find maybe some universal... uh, facts about each of our different languages across the world. Um, We've talked about Noah. We came through this difficult passage where Noah is, and his family, his descendants are the few that are saved, and God floods the entire earth. God literally cleanses the world. He washes it clean, and off that ark come a new start, right? And Reggie did a good job last week of kind of guiding us through Noah, getting off the ark, and then immediately, right? One of the over... Are the reoccurring themes in the book of Genesis is this idea that in perfection, man will consistently always choose sin, right? So a lot of you say, well, today's culture is the reason people sin. It's true, but in every culture anywhere, men will always choose sin. And so in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, right, he's only got one woman there, right? It's just each other. And they find sin and they choose sin. And now we find ourselves post-flood, after Noah, it's just Noah and and his family that were chosen, and we find ourselves again in perfection, a new start, a new beginning. They choose sin. It's not a few verses before Noah's drunk and naked in this passage, right? And so now we find ourselves in chapter 11. We'll be referencing back to a few things that Reggie mentioned last week. Uh, Okay, I've done my opening joke. We'll check that off as a fail. But we'll start in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to read in verse 1. So we'll do that now. I'm reading out of American Standard, New American Standard. Now the whole earth used used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar Shinar, and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. 
And let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. All right, so we find ourselves in this passage in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, and we first we look at the whole earth used the same language. We don't know if before Noah they had some dialects or if there are any kind of linguistic differences before the flood, but we do know coming off the ark, everybody's speaking the same language. And as they start working their way down, we're not far from Noah. One of the main characters we're going to talk about is the great grandson of Noah. So they literally remember the people that came off the boat, right? And so we look at this, they all have one language. They start spreading out across the earth and they find this valley in the land of Shinar. It's Babylon, right? They find this land in, in Babylon and they decide that they're going to settle there. They say to one another, hey, we're in the middle of a valley. There aren't any rocks, so let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly and these can be pretty safe. So they use brick for stone and they use tar for mortar. A more accurate word for the tar that they used, anybody? Different version? Wait, what? I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I don't want to get any wrong answers, but uh, bitumen, remember we hear this over and over again in the book of Genesis. It's like a pharmaceutical company sponsored it, the bitumen pharmaceutical company. So uh, yeah, we find this bitumen tar pitch that, they're, that they're using. Moses is mom used it whenever she creates the basket, right? She puts pitch all around it because it repels water and it, it's going to protect them from crocodiles, that new miracle tar, right? Um, whenever they go to create the ark, Noah takes gopher wood and bitumen, this pitch, and he actually builds the ark. And so, wait a second, we have this thought. They're not just using this for mortar, but we'll visit that in a second. They use bitumen for tar and tar for mortar. They want to build a city. Sounds pretty good. They decide they're going to build a city, and then they say, you know what, we're so good. Um, we need to build a tower, and it's just going to reach up into the heavens. Um, I'm not an engineer, but I would assume that most of the buildings at this time weren't too advanced, right? So most of them are used to mostly mud huts and tents. Um, God's people all hung out in tents. And they decide they're going to build a tower, right? So it's this cutting edge. They're on the edge of technology for their day, right? And they want to face the whole world. They want everybody to know who they are. And they want a place that's safe for everybody to be. And so they, build the, they want to build a city. They want to build a tower. And then God comes down, right? So God does a walkthrough of this. And just really quickly, the tower's real. There's an ancient Greek historian, Herodotus. Somebody may know better than I. Um, but the tower's real. He says in his time that he had seen it with his own eyes and that it was still standing. So 
We have these reports of this tower all through different civilizations on earth, and we actually have an ancient Greek historian somewhat document it for us. And he said it was still standing. We also see a few different things in this passage that when, Lord, when God says he's going to go down, he says, come, let us go down there in verse 7. It's a hint at the Trinity, that God, three persons in one, right? The Trinity is actually moving down and going to check out what these men are working on. And now we see him actually have to confuse their language. Just a few quick points we want to make because I don't think they're worth talking about in a sermon, even though we're doing that. Um, God's not worried they're going to attack, right? We all know because of modern science, if they had built a tower into the heavens, they would have just floated off. Well, they would have burned up in the atmosphere. Richard, you probably know. Um, They wouldn't have done it. God's not worried about an invasion, right? God is worried about these people finding him. He's not worried about them finding him in this way. He's worried about them not ever finding him. And so he says, okay, we've got to go and we've got to intervene. He's not worried about an invasion. He's worried about the hearts of men, right? And then a few different things. He talks about the Trinity. He does the walkthrough. And then he decides that the best way to get these people back to his plan is to scatter them out. And he does that by confusing their language. And like I said, most modern linguists think that we all came from the same, originated from the same language. So I think it's scientifically sound to think that. Just a few things that we're going to point out with this passage. What is the problem here? I'll be honest. They want to build a city. They want to build a cool building. They want to make it safe. They want everybody to be together, nobody to spread out. It actually sounds pretty good. Think about it. Think about it for real. Okay. Lots of bricks, a somewhat tyrannical leader, um, a defensive posture against any visitors. This is Madison, Mississippi, people. We got it right here. It sounds good. You can run for office on this. So the question is, what's the problem? Nimrod is our character. Let's start with him. So if we're going to look and see what's the problem with this, let's look at some of the players that are contributing to it. So we've got to go back to chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verse 8 through 12. In these descendants, and Reggie kind of hit on this, the table of nations, how the world goes out. We start in verse 8 and we see, Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a, knight, a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. You've heard that lately, right? The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went forth into Assyria, and built Nineveh, and Rehoboth, Ur, and Kala. And resin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. So Nimrod goes and he starts expanding his kingdom. And so we got to talk about Nimrod. Who is this guy? He's the great-grandson of Noah, first of all. So he remembers his great-granddaddy. They're still telling stories about it. Um, Sumerian, Babylonian, and some of the Hittite documents, they all talk about a character that matches Nimrod's description. So he's establishing these kingdoms, and these kingdoms actually document his existence. His name means, and parents, if you're naming your children, we're in a day now where I think good Christian parents, we're all trying to name our kids like really good things uh, because we have an idea that it does affect them as an adult. Um, But Nimrod's name means to rebel, or the rebel, or we will revolt. So out of the gate, the guy's bad news. Some of you kindergarten teachers, 
you've got a kid, his name is to, we will revolt, right? And you're thinking, okay, I got to get him on my list. I can't let him be free. Um, if you go back, almost every man's name, like if you look at men's names, all of them mean like strong, valiant, warrior, mighty warrior. Um, and it's just funny because it's like, they're like, hey, what does your name mean? And it's like the guy that has that name is always going, oh, mighty, strong, valiant, uh, ruthless. Um, we all come up with like these really uh, mean sounding names. But Nimrod was real, right? He was a rebel. And this idea that his name from the point where he actually enters creation, this guy was set against God. He's an open enemy to God. And some people may come with some weird perspective and say, well, maybe not. Maybe he's actually just trying to build a city. No. Nope. He actually sets his face against God. And a lot of people say that when it says a hunter before the Lord, that if you look at the wording there, it's almost like this guy in verse 9, he was a mighty hunter. Like, it was like he was working against the Lord. And that he's not just a hunter of animals, that he's actually a hunter of men. And he's able to ensnare a bunch of men and get them around, right? So we have this character of Nimrod. Just a quick, just want to throw this out there. Don't name your kid Nimrod, all right? I know in American culture it means stupid. That's another reason. Don't name him Nimrod. We see all the time people, they name their kids. I hope I don't offend anybody, but Dagon, that's the demon in the Old Testament. They name their kid Dagon. You've got to be careful of this stuff. All right, I'm done with that. So we have the characters, we have the players. All of these people are descendants of Noah. They've been telling these stories. And so let's not paint Nimrod in some weird, innocent picture where he doesn't quite know what he's doing. He remembers the ark. And when he goes to build a city, he actually decides, okay, wait. We're going to build it in the middle of this field, and we're going to use a waterproofing agent called bitumen as our tar. So it's almost like this past God, his interaction with God um, through his family back at the ark is now haunting him, and he wants to prepare. Like this guy's setting himself against God, and he's creating a waterproof city and tower really high out of the heavens that would hopefully save him. Maybe that's the case, maybe not. We just know that he's an enemy of God. So, okay, again, what's the problem? If we're going to figure out why this is a problem and why this isn't just Madison, Mississippi, we have to look at what God told them to do, which takes us back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 7. Right off the boat, you've just seen all of humanity wiped out. If there's a time that you're going to listen to God, it should be here, right? And so in verse 7, God tells them, As for you, be fruitful and multiply, Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I myself, this is God, do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, all of creation. Of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. And then he shows a sign of his covenant. And once again, they're just a few generations separated. Like Nimrod's been told this story over and over and over again. He should have been. And so he remembers God saying that, but yet he's going to build like pretty much a waterproof fortress. He's going, to, he's going to build a waterproof tower. And we see where he takes God's covenant, God's promise, and he totally ignores it. And he prepares for battle against God. He wants to be able to survive 
He possibly wants to be able to survive the next judgment wave of God. So the problem is that God actually starts off by telling them, listen, for every man we love this verse, be fruitful and multiply. Lazy men don't like it because it means they may have to work to provide for more children, but we like this verse because it usually uh, gives married men something to to live for. Um, Be fruitful and multiply, and he not only says that, he says populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. So we see another problem right off of Nimrod's plan is that he's going to build a city. And a city is just a huge concentration of people. So instead of actually spreading out people all across the earth, Nimrod's going to build a city, and he's going to build it up, not out, right? And God wanted it to go out. And so we see one of Nimrod's biggest or first failures is that he was building a kingdom or a nation, and God, or actually just a city, and God wanted him to build a family. Like God wanted him to be a dad. God wanted him to be a husband. And God wanted him to go out. Now, let's not just quickly brush over that and act like it's not a big deal. You're in the middle of the wilderness. You have nothing. And God says, go out and fill the world. Go out and fill the earth, right? I don't know about you guys, but if I'm speaking the same language as a friend, we're trying to work out how to stick together. I don't know. The ark wolves have been reproducing at a rapid rate. There's a lot of scary things going down. Um, God's way seemed really difficult. It seemed like it was going to be hard. But Nimrod doesn't listen to it anyways. He goes and he decides to build a city. And then we know that God told him he'd never flood again, but he's building it out of waterproof materials. And so the big question that we have to ask ourselves is, even though God's plan is difficult, um, what are we building? Right? Because God wanted Nimrod to spread out. He wanted all of his people to spread out, build families, fill the earth, and worship God. But by the time we get to Nimrod, it's almost like they're polar opposites. They're at war now. So here's the question. If we have the same relationship with God, right? God gives us what he wants us to do. And all of us are actually probably building something at this moment. What are we building? Like if you boil down the works of our day, the things that we do, what are we working on right now? Because if we're not careful, we judge Nimrod really quickly as being like a militant leader. But we need to look at ourselves here and ask the question, what are we building with our daily task? What are our end goals in life? What are we aiming towards And I'm not going to say, what do you want to build? What are you building? Because for a lot of us right now, what we're building is a good job. And for a lot of us right now, we're building a good retirement. Or we're literally building a good home. Or we're building or rebuilding a really nice car. We're not, maybe we're building a family. Maybe we've elevated our spouse and our children somewhere where they shouldn't be. But I'll be honest, when I was preparing for this and I prayed, I prayed, I said, God, I said, forgive me because... I think I might be standing in my own tower right now. And it's not what you called me to. That right now I've been working towards something that's not in your plan. And so this question, listen, all of us, all of our acts are going towards something. What are, what are we aiming towards? And is it just a good job? Listen, we need employment. We're not, <laughs> keep your job, right? But at the end of the day, what are we aiming towards with our work, with our task? So, like these descendants, we need to ask ourselves the question, what has God told us to do, right? Everybody should be in an LTG, these life transformation groups. I know it sounds like a cell phone tower network, whatever. Um, I don't like the name, but the groups are great. Um, 
And what it's supposed to be is two or three people. You can't be one person. You can't be a one-person LTG. Um, it's two or three people meeting together. You're reading, attempting to read 30 chapters a week. Um, in the Old Testament, that gets tricky, so you may have to figure that out. Um, and then you also have some accountability questions and encouraging one another to share, share your faith um, and then disciple others and it's kind of, it's just a good time. I know I meet with a few different guys, and it's, it's good for me to do that. One of the big questions that apparently the men's pamphlet misses out on is, in the past week, have you done your reading, and what did God tell you in that reading, right? And so that's one good place to start really quickly. What has God told us to do? And that would be a question for you. What has God told you to do? And if you haven't heard from God recently, that may point to a problem, right? If you're not walking with the Lord, if you're not spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, then you don't know what you're doing, and you're just aimlessly building, right? Building, just building a pile of garbage. But God is speaking to us through His Word. We know that He gives everybody commandments, like the Great Commission. Are you doing that? Are we building that kingdom? Are we sharing our faith? Are we spending time in discipleship? Are we discipling believers? Because one of the biggest problems that I find is people are like, whenever you bring up evangelism, there's a genuine response of, I haven't seen anybody this week. All right? So somebody's been holed up in their house. They literally haven't seen anyone this week. With the miracles of modern technology and social media, you haven't had any encounter with the human race or anybody that you could encourage in the faith or be able to share the gospel with. You are a hermit. In which case, you need to get out more. But then also there's the excuse of I'm too busy, right? What are we too busy with? At some point, like, this is life and death. Our excuses don't measure up anymore. And so if, we're, if we don't see people, let's go out and see somebody. Or let's actually send them a message on Facebook instead of just stalking their pictures. Oh, they're sending a lot. Right? Let's interact with people. But then also there's this question, if you're going to disciple somebody, listen, that's not quick. If you're actually going to spend some time in a discipleship relationship, it's not a fast thing to do. You try and block it off at like an hour, but it may go longer. So that actually takes a little bit of sacrifice. But isn't that the life of a Christian? Aren't we supposed to sacrifice? We don't sacrifice family, and we don't sacrifice church. Don't skip Sunday morning saying you're going to disciple people. But uh, we sacrifice to build the kingdom of God. And yeah, it's going to be difficult. We're going to get kicked in the crotch a lot. But hey, you know what? we got to be tough. And so... We ask, what has God told us to do? What has God told us to build? And then the question is, what are we actually building? What do all of the time and talents and money go towards? And y'all, a lot of us, if we answered that honestly, there would be like chunks of sin in our life that we're just funding or putting all of our stewardship, all of our life towards sin. Uh-oh, who are we? In this story, we're Nimrod. That God's actually having to judge us. That we're building a kingdom. We're building into the world's kingdom. Like we're building into an American culture that really sets itself against God. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. Like what am I building? And now I may have to change some things. I may have to change my life because I don't want to build this anymore. I want to follow the Lord. So what are our towers? And a lot of us we look and we say, 
I still don't see anything wrong. Let, let's just list a few things. On Netflix, uh, Instant Watch, there, PBS did a series called Mega Weapons or Nazi Mega Weapons. Anybody watched it? Oh, come on. It's great. Um, it's really good. It's only six episodes. And I'm watching this huge complex that Hitler puts together, right? Because he doesn't have to care about people. He literally can experiment and do whatever he wants on the human body. So we find all of these, like, elect, like electricity, like a lot of our uh, electricity safety came from tests done on Jews and the Holocaust. And we see that he takes all of his money of his country. He doesn't care anything about the economy. He just pushes it towards building. And I thought, wait a second, this is a Nimrod-like character. He actually takes all of the funding, everything he has in his nation, and he builds up these huge defenses. The Nazis were the first to have the ballistic missile. Like they're this, The engineer that built the ballistic missile for the Nazis actually helped in our NASA program. He's the one that got us into space using the exact same technology. And so we see all of these things that were built and used by, for an evil purpose by an evil man. Um, and that's what happens when people are unified together under dysfunction. And this is what can happen even for us. We may identify with something that unites us. It may sound good. It looks good on paper. But really, if there's an evil purpose to it, it can be bent and used for evil things, right? We see this a lot. I mean, the internet, video streaming, most of that innovation comes from the porn industry, but we're able to use it to stream the gospel into people's homes. And so here's the question. Like, what are we building? But then the other question, like, why are we building it? If I'm building a church for my own pride... Uh Uh-oh, that could be a sin. And even though in the first chapter of Philippians, it tells us, listen, some preach the gospel for good, out of goodwill, some out of selfish ambition, but either way, the gospel's preached. That doesn't stop me from being judged if I'm preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. And so here's this question, like, what are we building? Why are we building it? Is it my own sinful choices? Is it my own sinful pride that's pushing me to this? Is it my need for control? And so we look at that and we need to apply it across the board to our families. And we need to ask God to actually begin to use us for his glory and use us for his plan. And I think that we have, we have the ability to build cities and towers. We have the ability to build churches that glorify God. And so at the end of the day, and, and Ethan has a, a children's Bible story book, the Jesus uh, Storybook Bible. It's really good. Um, it does censor out parts of the Bible stories. Don't worry, I insert the full graphic version. So Daniel in the lion's den, it doesn't end with just Daniel smiling with the king. Um, It actually ends with all of those men. Remember this? All of the men that plotted against Daniel, it says they threw them in the lion's den and the lions crushed them before their feet like their bodies could hit the ground. So it says, I think it says them and their families. It kind of rattled Ethan's world, but he's going to be stronger in the word for it. David and Goliath, David chops off Goliath's head with his own sword, right? Um, It shakes him a bit, but I think it's going to make him a better man. All that to say, in this Jesus Storybook Bible, it ends with this, and it's a good comment. In the Tower of Babel, the sin wasn't the tower, the sin was the motive. The sin was the disobedience to God's command. In the Tower of Babel, God stopped men, not because he was worried about heaven being invaded, but he stopped men because he was, about, he was worried about men in their hearts never knowing God. And so what he does is he strikes to, to drive them out across the world and to make them dependent on God. The way to heaven isn't a stairway. 
You can build it as high as you want to. You'll die. The way to heaven's a person. And so we look and we see over and over again man's attempt to reach God, to build a tower, to have a relationship with God, or to be like God, if that's, that's the ultimate sin, right? But the way to heaven isn't a staircase. The way to heaven's Jesus. And so now we have to ask ourselves this question, like, what am I building? Why am I building it? And then I have to ask this question, like, am I accessing this way to God? Do I actually have a relationship with Jesus? Because some of you, you immediately thought, wait a second, if I measure out my daily activities and what I'm about, I'm not about the kingdom of God. I'm actually building my own sinful kingdom here. And your solution is going to be, okay, I've got to stop building my sinful kingdom and I'm going to start building what God wants me to build. No. If you don't have Jesus here, if God's not interacting with you through that link to heaven, you can do all of the to-do list you want, but you will not build his kingdom because it starts inside and works its way out. And so for some of you, you hear, you're here and you think, wait a second, I've never done it. I don't know Jesus. I don't know God. And I've taken all of man's attempts to get there, but I don't know him. And for you, you've got you've to accept Christ into your life. You've got to ask him to forgive you of your sin. You've got to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Some of you are believers, and you realize, wait a second, I'm supposed to have this direct link with God that's now pouring into and affecting the rest of the world, but that doesn't happen. And so now you've got a question, wait a second, am I fellowshipping with God? Have I based my whole life on my own sinful pride or my own wants? And that's where you've got to change today because God's Holy Spirit's going to say, we've got to get this right. I want to affect the world through you, right? And so God's actually going to be working in our hearts. But the question's going to be, what are we going to do about it? And I'll be honest, y'all, in worship service after worship service, and I think I'm not alone here, there's so many times that I have real moments with God. And then because of good cooking on a Sunday, football, whatever, it's done. And the next time I think about it is the next Sunday morning. At the end of the day, that could have been Nimrod's story. Like somebody set themselves against God and every once in a while they felt their heart flutter. Like every once in a while they felt the Holy Spirit move, right? But they never actually made a decision that actually walked with God. So we have all these people that descended from the ark that have forgotten God. I think that that's one of the problems that we're going to struggle with. If you're here today, and even now, you think that the Holy Spirit's working in your heart. And you think, that's me. I don't want to do that. Listen, Jesus changes us from the inside out. And we don't hold on to Jesus. He holds on to us, right? And so some of us need to recommit. Some of us need to give our lives to Jesus. But at the end of the day, this is the beauty of it. The staircase of Jesus from God to earth has been there, right? And just quickly, we can point out Acts chapter 2. It's like the Tower of Babel flipped. Because when Jesus dies, he's raised from the dead, he goes to heaven. All of a sudden, Peter, all the apostles are hanging around when these tongues of fire come from heaven. The Holy Spirit, right? And God's Holy Spirit reverses what happens at Babel. At Babel. Because there, all of these people came together and they couldn't understand what any, anybody else was saying. At the day of Pentecost, all of these people come together and everybody understands what everybody's saying. Whenever Peter starts speaking, it says that these guys are here, these guys are names all these different nationalities speaking different languages, and everybody hears the same language so that the gospel could be preached. And then it spread all over the world. 
Just like the people in the Tower of Babel spread all over the world, God spreads his church all over the world. And so it's beautiful to see that God didn't just end it there. You're done. Cut us off. That God had a plan all the way through the Old Testament and it stretches on into the New Testament, into Acts chapter 2. And after Jesus is established as our only way to God, our only access to heaven, then Babel's reversed. And now we have, we have the gift of tongues coming through the New Testament. And no matter where Peter went, he could share the gospel with people. And now no matter wherever we go, we can share the gospel with people. But at the end of the day, a lot of us are hammering away at stupid, worldly materialism. And my call is the same call that Home Depot is getting ready to give us all in football season. Like, let's build something together. Let's build God's kingdom. And so if we're actually focused on something else, if some of us are caught up in sin, we're going to have a time of worship where you can come and you can repent here at the altar. You can pray with somebody. Um, and ask them to pray with you. You can give your life to Jesus if you want to do that. Make it public. And God can work through our lives, right? But the Tower of Babel wasn't the end. Jesus has been there, right? And he's our way to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, we just thank you, God, that you give us the chance for repentance. And Lord, we have, many of us, God, through life, we've tried to be better. We've tried to act right. We've tried to follow the rules. We've tried to stop sinning. But Lord, we failed. And God, in a moment, you told us, in a moment of salvation, you showed us that you were the only way to heaven. And nothing that we can do can get us there, God. So I pray right now, Lord, that as you offer the free gift of salvation to all of us in this room, Lord, for believers that, that have made that decision, that walk with you, God, that you will strengthen them and you'll put them on mission, God, to serve you. But, Lord, for people in this room that do not know you, God, Lord, I pray that all of the staircases they're building, the towers they're building to try to get to heaven, Lord, that you'll let them fall. And, Lord, that you will be lifted up in this room and that people will come to you for salvation. So, Lord, we pray that right now. Pray that you, pray that you bless this invitation. We pray that all in your holy name, Jesus.